It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford Bloor of TIFO Football, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. The circus is in town. You might have heard of the ringmaster, a certain Mino Raiola. His sales technique is shameless but effective. Logically, it only remains to be seen where Erling Haaland ends up. And of course, how much one of the usual suspects are prepared to pay. The spectacle is cheap, even if the price will be exorbitant. So Seb, is this the way marquee players will be bought and sold in the future? I think so, Mike. I'm a little surprised it's taken us so long to reach this point because it all feels like, well, it feels a little bit like you can draw a straight line from what's happening here all the way back to LeBron James's decision on uh, on American television all those years ago. It's the kind of the, the dramatization of the transfer process. And clearly it's a transparent attempt to create an auction, to create a marketplace at a time when, because of the situation in the world, finances are a lot tighter, restrictions are greater. And I think it's Mina Riola creating a situation where everybody is exactly aware of what their rivals are doing, who's interested, who they might be gazumped by. And uh, very, very effective. I, I have to say I find it grotesque, actually. I think I, w- I don't think I'd look fav- favorably upon it during normal times. A period in global history when so many people are suffering and struggling. I'm not talking about football, I just mean people, actual people. It's really distasteful. And uh, I, I, I feel a little bit sorry for, for Dortmund fans as well in this because I, they're, they're over a barrel because their club is over a barrel even because... Obviously, in 12 months' time, Holland's release clause will kick in, meaning that they are capped on what they can receive for him. His body language in games has started to deteriorate a little bit. Like, he's not doing, you know, he's not trying hardest to hide his frustration. And also, they're playing extremely badly, and they're going to miss Champions League football, which means that they have no choice now but to sell. So the whole thing is really, really ugly. Mm. And obviously, it will come into focus in the Champions League, A, because they're playing Manchester City, there's an obvious need at City. And, you know, you've got the spectacle of Pep Guardiola, you know, initially claiming penury. Oh, no, we can't afford to spend a lot of money on players. Ha ha. Uh, but then he tended to spoil it when he said, well, of course, yeah, we would pay $100 million for a long-term star. It's all part of the game, isn't it? Definitely part of the game. Yeah, I mean, no one believes that Manchester City can't afford Erling Haaland. That much is... Is clear. They do need a striker with Sergio Aguero going. I don't think they can rely on Gabriel Jesus plus a bunch of false nines. I mean, stick Erling Haaland in Manchester City's starting eleven, and it takes them to the next level, in my opinion. So, so he's somebody that I'm sure that that they will be will be targeting. And what a stage for him to go out and and impress on against Manchester City in the Champions League. And 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 Seb's absolutely right with Dortmund. Being over a barrel with that release clause, 68 million in a year's time, that price is going to come in probably around about 100 million pounds, isn't it? It's what is he worth on top for that bonus season? And, and I would suggest that that a lot of clubs will be scrambling o- o- over that particular amount of money. So, so look, it's it, it's going to be it is ugly. I agree with Seb. It's disrespectful to Borussia Dortmund. It should all be done privately, but. Rayola doesn't want it to be done privately, which is why we're getting to hear about it. I think the English clubs are in the box seat in terms of the wages that they can afford to pay. But 
We did see Manchester United walk away previously because of agent fees and not willing to to put in clauses where the agent can can effectively just, you know take a cut of of future fees as well. Will the English clubs bend in the way that that Borussia Dortmund did to get Haaland in the first place? Maybe make a sacrifice in the future in terms of of, of what they might make back on him. But but yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. I'd love to see him in the Premier League. I think he would instantly be favourite for the golden boot. I just I just believe that this kid will score hatfuls of goals wherever he goes. Mm. We're in the realms of fantasy finance, aren't we, Seb? Because if you look at it, you know, OK, Raiola has actually denied this, but there was a story last week that both he and Alfinger Haaland, Erling's father, would, would get €20 million Euros each out of the deal. As I say, he has denied that, but... It wouldn't surprise anyone, would it? Their first port of call was Barcelona. Last heard of in around about £1 billion worth of debt. Yet they're contenders. So how does the interest in Haaland, and actually Harry Kane's been speculated about as well, how does all that square with the new president's campaign promise to cut spending, trim the squad and, and promote academy products? Well, I, I wonder, Mike, I wonder how real it all is, because Laporta, as part of his campaign, made the pledge specifically to pursue Holland. So I wonder politically whether he is compelled to meet with Raiola, Holland, Alfie Inger Holland, as a kind of smoke and mirrors exercise, because he has to be seen to at least be trying. You can't have a situation in which this circus rolls through Spain, goes to Madrid and then leaves because that just doesn't look very good. And it's a really negative point to start the the new presidency upon. I mean, I don't think anybody will have forgotten either that Laporta has a bit of previous with this. His Obviously, his, his first tenure at Barcelona was predicated, election to it was predicated on signing David Beckham. Didn't do it, never met Beckham, negotiated with Manchester United, never had any kind of agreement with the player himself. And it just didn't matter because obviously he, he kind of rode public opinion in sign Ronaldinho and nobody ever talks about David Beckham ever again. I don't know. I mean, I <clears throat> the the situation at Barcelona is, I mean, back in January, they were unable to pay 4 million euros for players. Also, they still owe money on so many different transfers. I, I found out the other day that they actually still money owe money on the Arturo Vidal transfer. Arturo <laughs> Vidal arrived in 2018 and, and he's already left the club. Wow. So the idea that you're... In there, I think it's 1.17 billion euros worth of debt. And he's promised a, uh, quote, sharp economic plan. But no one's quite sure what that is. And I'm sure there'll be investment and entrepreneurship somewhere. But I, I'll have questions if Barcelona somehow find a way of, of meeting that transfer. And, and Seb, you've got to think about Rayola in, in this position as well. Now, when he, he you know, he doesn't have to sell Holland to, to Barcelona, but he, he will say, well, look, his value to the side is every bit as important as Lionel Messi, as an ageing Lionel Messi. He's, he's as valuable a player for this team as, as, as Messi. Therefore, he should have financial parity with Messi. That, 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 that's how an agent might, might approach the situation, or at least be close. And, and, and that's just going to be impossible. They can't have two, two gargantuan earners on, on their wage bill unless they're, unless they're intended on playing you know, with just two players. Do, do, you, do you expect... Messi to stay at Barcelona now is that is that a given? Yeah, but well, I, I this is another Laporta election pledge. Messi is he he has the relationship with the Messi family. It's always been good, which is quite a contrast, obviously, to the previous president. Also, politically, how are you as a president, as a as a footballing bureaucrat? Do you want that on your CV? The guy that allowed Messi to leave. It doesn't matter how far into how far beyond his prime is. Whether he is still the same player he was, he's obviously not. It just doesn't matter because he transcends all of those logical arguments. It's Lionel Messi. He's, for my money, the, the greatest player of all time. You cannot allow him to fall into the hands of a Manchester City or a PSG. You can accept maybe at some point in his career he's going to want to go back to Argentina. That's different. What you can't do is allow him, if you're Johan Laporta, to be snagged by a lot of your previous employees in England now or, <laughs> or to go to PSG. Imagine, imagine like... Being a Barcelona fan and in the space of a decade seeing Neymar and Messi go to Paris Saint-Germain against your will is intolerable. And you can't... Spanish football is deeply political. You cannot accept that. And so for, therefore, Laporta 
no matter whether it makes financial sense, no matter whether he would actually probably prefer to be free of the, the financial burden of the Messi contract, because it's massive, it, it's just, it's not achievable. He has to stay. Yeah. And when politics get involved, aid, players usually suffer. Now, it looks like Jeannie Wijnaldum's been dumped due to a, a, a changing strategy. There was an assumption he was going to Barca and was going to sign in the summer. Do you think Liverpool will or perhaps should tie him down now pronto? Uh, it's a difficult one. I believe Liverpool can live without Jeannie Wijnaldum. He's 30. He's a good player, don't get me wrong. He's an excellent midfielder. And he's been a terrific signing from from Newcastle. He has been he has been really good, but but they could live without him. He's thirty, so is he going to improve? No. You've got Fabinho and Thiago that are starting to to strike up a nice combination. I know that Arsenal didn't turn up at the weekend at all, but but those two was all Liverpool needed in midfield. They went four two four towards the end of that game, and it, it was easily enough. I think a box-to-box midfielder that's younger than Vinaldum would would potentially improve them. So no, look if he wants if he wants to go on a free and get his biggest payday elsewhere, Liverpool might let him. It depends. It depends whether they can afford to keep him on. But I, I don't think over the next two or three years he's going to be a regular starter or as regular a starter as he has been. So personally, I'd I'd let him walk away and get that payday wherever wherever he finds it. Mm. So staying with Liverpool, Seb, Ibrahima Kanate has been very, very strongly linked with them. RB Leipzig defender, £33 million has been mentioned. Is that a good signing? I really think it is. I think if you were able to pair Kanate with a fully fit, fully back to form Virgil van Dijk, I would make that the best centre-back combination in Europe, I think. Or it would say it would have the potential to grow into it within a year or two. It's interesting because obviously... Canate has this sort of binary relationship with um, Diet Upamecano at Leipzig. And I don't know whether this is because of the Bayern Munich move and the amount of money attached to it. But ever since that happened, I think like, I've certainly noticed Upamecano's standard dropping a little bit. You, so, you start to see the faults in his game. I, maybe this is a, it's kind of a mind trick, the way that we, we're, we're trained to respond to big successful clubs making transfers. We kind of want to pick it apart, don't we? But I, I think Liverpool would actually probably be getting the better player. I think Canate has less profile. As a footballer, he's really good. I mean, I don't mean that in the trite sense. I, I mean, with the ball at his feet, he's excellent. And as a one-on-one defender, I think I prefer him to Uber Meccano. I dare say he, Uber Meccano will be very, very successful at Bayern Munich. But for £33 million, and that's the fee that we're kind of led to believe that Liverpool will be willing to pay for him, I think that's a really good deal. Really good deal. 21 as well, sir. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's he's got, got so, so many scope years ahead for, of him. Scope for improvement. Yeah. And, and it... Liverpool got some tough decisions to make because the recent form of, of Ozan Kabak and, and Nat Phillips has given them a little bit of food for thought, hasn't it? Because, I mean, five away games now in a row, clean sheets, and four of them, those two, have have played, two of them in, against Leipzig, of course, away away from Anfield. So so Kabak is an interesting one, isn't he? It, and But I, I guess, Seb, when you think about their respective Bundesliga careers, you would have... Canate well ahead of Quebec in terms of, of quality and, you know, career trajectory, wouldn't you? So so for yeah, me, if you're going to spend I mean, 30 million, it's it's got to be on, on Canate rather than Quebec, hasn't it? I feel like I feel like Quebec has done quite well, but I, I'm, I'm led by my father-in-law. He's a big Galatasaray and Turkish national team fan. And he's staggered that Quebec is playing for Liverpool. So he's sort of, we, we live in Germany, so you know, he's got vested interest in Jürgen Klopp. And he's stunned that someone has had that opportunity and I think that's very interesting and I I think also (laughs) in a way you can kind of you have sympathy for him because he's gone from the the slapstick of the Schalke defense who are beyond (laughs) awful they're just like a different level of terrible and he stepped in and he's had a few bad moments but he's recovered and I really like that I think that's a that's a really good sign for a player that's probably destined to be a backup in the future he'll be someone perhaps who comes in to you know support a probably be the fourth choice player there behind someone like Joe Gomez or, or Joel Matip but I, I I think he's done well I think now Phillips has done very well as well I, I I really admire I don't think he's destined for the top of the game but given the task of having to fill in for the best centre half in the game and that's pretty undisputed 
I mean, I think he's done remarkably well. And, and given the things that have gone on around him in that Liverpool defence, goalkeeper's been shaky, fullbacks haven't been great, midfield's been all over the place because, of course, they've been used to compensate for absences elsewhere. He's been great. He was terrific against Arsenal. Yeah. Oh, it didn't have to be that terrific, did he, to be honest? <laughs> That's, that is true. That much is true, Mike. <laughs> I just want to hear Adrian say it, Mike. I'll be honest with you. Just him up for that. But if, but if you look at it, I suppose what you know the lesson of this season for Liverpool is that you do need a very strong core of at least four central defenders, don't you? And where do you think all this leaves Joe Gomez? I feel quite sorry for him because, you know, here he is again going through that that horrible, isolating experience of long-term rehab. And he's hearing the sort of conversations we're having now, isn't he? It's a challenge for him. That's how he's got to he's got to react to it. In football, when you play for a Liverpool and a Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, you, you get used to the fact that standards are ridiculously high and that your competition is going to be really good. And all you've got to do, he's an international. He's, he's experienced now, Joe Gomez. He, he's a champion. He's got to back himself and to, to be better than anyone that, that comes in. It's just the way it goes. When you, Any player that's out injured for a long time has that challenge. Can I get back to where I was? Can I regain my position in the, in the starting eleven? And he'll believe he can do it. And look, if, if it doesn't work out for him, Joe Gomez has got a great... Great career ahead of him, I'm sure of that. He's, he's a he's a top class player. He can play centre half or or either full back position. So, yeah, yeah, his future's not an issue really. Mm. Said modern football writ large part two probably. Redbird Capital Partners have invested five hundred and thirty million pounds into the the Fenway Group, Liverpool's owners. They're insistent that they won't fund a silly money bid for. Kylian Mbappe, I'm not so sure, but they are going to boost the analytic presence, especially around artificial intelligence, that, that, that sort of modelling which they've used elsewhere in their portfolio. Are we looking here at a sort of next generation strategy for football and recruitment? Yeah, and, and, a, and a smart one too, because I don't think I'm wrong in saying, Mike, that Football World is heading for a kind of homogenous Super League situation. I mean, we're expecting that kind of from 2024, which inadvertently creates a scenario where a lot of these super club sides, of which Liverpool are clearly one, there'll be even less to separate them than ever before. Like, you know, there won't be very much emphasis on their geography or their communities. They will all earn a huge amount of money at the exclusion of a lot of other clubs. So therefore, this is the time to be searching for and establishing advantages that suit that will help you in that environment. And AI is something that's starting to creep into football. Like, I'm not nearly smart enough to understand it or explain it to you. <laughs> not even close. Oh, not even I was close. banking on that. I was banking on that. No, that's, that's said, absolutely I not where this, this answer is heading, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I should have paid more attention at school. But um, it's. I think these these are things which are going to become more into play because obviously like Liverpool, Liverpool's analytics department and use of data is industry leading in a lot of ways. I mean, they've had a huge amount of success. Over time, people replicate that. Other clubs, their rivals, they catch up. And so you've always got to be evolving. It's not good enough just to say, right, well, we've got we've got 10 data scientists in our club who are all really, really, really good at analyzing data and, and deploying it and employing it in a way that can enhance our first team. You have to evolve. And I think that, I don't know whether this will be that, but I think that is going to be a, a trend over the next few years. Yeah. I think it's good news, Mike, this, this investment for, for Liverpool. I think if I was Liverpool fans, I'd be pretty happy with this. I know that Redbirds, uh, Jerry Cardinale, is, he, he wants to be really hands-on. And, and I, I get the impression that Liverpool, being part of Fenway's portfolio, was was the real carrot for, for, for them to, to dive in. And uh, they're excited about the prospect of improving Liverpool. And, and yeah, and looking at their track record, you, you think they've got a good chance of doing that? Yeah, well, I suppose... Isn't it? I you know you look at they come from a baseball background, which is obviously a really data driven game, and I I always get the sense that you know Cardinal has also been talking about maybe going out and buying other European clubs, looking at Syria A, and I suppose they're all chasing the Man City global model to a degree, aren't they? If we look at City now, is do you get the same sense that I do that there's a team in transition here? where in, from tactically as much as anything and i just wonder 
what future Raheem Sterling has there? What do you think? It's an interesting point, Mike. I He's still a very good player and still a little bit different to other players that Manchester City have. So for that reason, I still think he does have a, a part to play. They have evolved this season, no doubt about it, tactically, obviously significantly harder to, to, to play against, to score against. And, and the use, that the, the frequent use of a non-centre forward has, has been fascinating, especially how successful it's been. Sterling's still a bit different. He, I, he's a player that will always be a bit rough around the edges. I mean, for England the other night, he did some awful things. He, he, did, he was really sloppy. And he, he mucked up, he lost possession tons of times, but he still made the difference. He still was was the guy that, that broke the lines, was the, was the man that made things happen. And that's kind of what, what he does for City. He's 26. I would say he's probably in his peak at the moment. Again, I don't think he's got to worry, Raheem Sterling. If City don't, if City decide they move on from him, which they could because they're so sport for choice, then he will pick up a great club elsewhere. But I, I just feel that Pep, Pep's got a soft spot for Sterling and for developing him. And, and providing Sterling's got the right attitude and retains that hunger to learn and be part of this new city, then I think Pep will want him to be on board. But, but if he doesn't, if, 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 he, if his attitude slips, we know Pep's ruthless. He'll get rid of him. He'll get rid of any of them if they're not on board. Yeah, it, it seems to me the sort of player who screams Real Madrid and, and fanfares. Talking of being ruthless... Do you get the sense, Seb, that Sergio Aguero's being dispatched, you know, with with you know, great protestations of love and gratitude and everything else? But it's like, okay, boy, you know, we've had enough now. Bye bye. Uh, which I suppose is football's way. Look, that's football, Mike. Yeah, it happens to everyone <laughs> in the end. <laughs> in that sense. You know the, the the conventional wisdom is that he wants to stay in the Premier League. Chelsea a realistic option for him? Don't think so. I think it comes down to durability. I think I think what's counted against Aguero here is that he's quite old for his age. I think I'm right in saying that he's never actually completed or, or started more than thirty Premier League games in a season, and he's been a marvelous player, one of the, one of the best natural finishers I've ever seen in the Premier League. But there's always that issue with him. There's always that kind of fear that he's going to tweak a hamstring or a groin or something. And and that's been difficult. And I suppose City's reasoning is, well, you know, as he gets older, is that going to improve? Probably not. Chelsea, I mean, it would make sense. I just don't see it happening. I mean, Chelsea famously is a great sliding doors moment of the Premier League, isn't it? Because supposedly Chelsea were very interested in Sergio Aguero until John Terry played against Atletico Madrid and reported back they didn't really fancy him and he wasn't going to amount to very much. And, you know, good shout. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. Also, I think um, I, I think I think Chelsea's skewing younger anyway, Mike. If you look at the, the players they've got there and the investment in Werner, Harvitz, Ziyech, I know is a bit older, but still he's not an old player. Mason Mount, that's your attacking core. Do you bring in a guy who's approaching his mid-30s? I don't think so. I don't think it makes sense. Is anything other than a very short-term solution. Mm. Where do you think he features aid in in the conversation around the Premier League's greatest striker? Top not five, as high, not as high as Manchester City fans would would want him to be, in my opinion. But but you can make a case because of his longevity and because of you know how he's consistently scored goals over such a a lengthy time span. He he, he is a Premier League great, no doubt about it. But if you think about it, I mean, he's no Thierry Henry. I don't think he, he's he's the he's the greatest. I think in terms of strikers, but I would have Shearer ahead. I would have Kane ahead. I think Kane's a, a better centre forward. And when I think about Aguero, a peak Aguero up against a peak Drogba or a peak Luis Suarez, I'd have Drogba or Suarez in my team if ahead of him at their very best. So, so for me, he'd probably be sixth, but you know, I could easily be persuaded because he's he is an unbelievable player and he's been great. But, but, but the Premier League has been blessed with some, some just brilliant, brilliant front men. That is for sure. Mm. Aid mentions Harry Kane, which I suppose does lead us on to his future. Seb, if you have any sense that Manchester United are getting their act together in terms of recruitment, surely he'd be a a natural target for them. If they do go down that route, will Spurs sell? Oof, difficult. 
I mean, they won't have a choice with it. Can I just jump? Sorry to jump in there, sir, but but would Spurs have a choice? I think Harry Kane decides whether he stays or leaves, doesn't he? I don't think so, Adrian, because because of his contractual situation, he he still goes until twenty twenty four. So, yes, he may. I think he's owed the opportunity, given the way the club's been run over the last few years, to make that choice. I'm a Spurs fan. Full disclosure, I think a lot of people would dis- would agree with me in saying that Harry Kane has earned the right to something better than this. Sorry, it's a circus at the moment. The thing is, though, that can you ever see Daniel Levy saying, yeah, you can have him on the cheap when he's got three more contract years left? I think I think he would say, I want £175 million for him. I'd say for Daniel Levy also, there is a very heavy personal cost to selling him. I think if you sell him, you then have to resign because I don't think you can ever be forgiven for doing something. It's like um, all those years ago, the Edmonton Oilers trading Wayne Gretzky. Like he's the one player that you don't get rid of because he's the one player that means more than any other to the fans. And given the bad decisions which have led to this point, which Daniel Levy's done wonderful things for Tottenham, but he's also done some terrible things to that football team. And we're seeing that play out at the moment. This would be a step too far. I don't. Th- I think you lose all credibility if, as a result of poor managerial choices and failure to financially support managers who are doing good things for the club, you then you're, the consequence is then to sell a player who is he's not even one in a generation. He's one every few generations. It's like trying to sell Dave Mackay. It's the same principle. Uh, I think you. It would be the end for Daniel Levy if he does that. So that that's that's a decision for him. He's not going to be forced to do anything because it's Daniel Levy, isn't it? So, but it's it's very difficult. And it's not going to be as simple as Kane saying, "Well, I, I don't fancy this anymore," because that's going to be a very very difficult negotiation. I, I just don't see it. I just think it's too complicated. I think it's the wrong timing. 180 million pounds now for a 20 soon to be 28 year old player with a bad injury record. Oh, it's that's a that's a a big big old gamble for someone. Yeah. No. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's as attractive, I think, as Haaland or Mbappe, apart from the age factor. I, I, think, I, I think he's a better player than Haaland. Like I, yeah. you know, I don't know what yeah. Haaland will turn into. I, I think Harry Kane is the best centre forward in world football. He's done wonderful things for Tottenham, but the game is a business. I think he's footballer of the year. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely I mean, do. I haven't voted yet, and I'm trying to kind of recuse myself of Tottenham bias. But um, <laughs> in, uh, in a in bang average Spurs team, yeah, his output has been just incredible. It's not it's not an average Spurs team, it's a bad Spurs team. Can't do anything well <laughs> except the things that Kane does on the ball. And he's been remarkable at times. He's been the difference between having a kind of vague opportunity to possibly sneak a League Cup and finish where kind of Arsenal look like they're going to. That's the difference. It's Kane. Mm. Is it also a warning to other players, Aid, that you've got to back yourself rather than opt in for the security of a six-year contract? <sighs> I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. Look, I think I think players will... It's, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a, a six-year contract. It, if it's on offer, the contract, the, the, the time frame doesn't really matter. When a club wants to sell you, they sell you. Of course, it can make it trickier to leave of course it can but the bottom line is is that if Kane does say look I I I want to go I need to go Spurs I think Spurs will have to find a way to make it happen and I absolutely agree with with all the points that that Seb made on on Daniel Levy but yeah who, who knows every every player has their own career path it just feels like Kane does deserve a better team than than Spurs and it's going to take until Kane reaches his thirties, for Spurs to for any kind of Spurs reboot, if there is one, to to, to make them challenge. So, I, I, in, his, I wonder, in his shoes, I'd, in his shoes, I'd, I, I, I'd ask to leave and 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 you know try and find a way. I, sorry to jump in. I, I wonder whether this is also tied to Jose Mourinho's future because mm-hmm. I wonder at the moment it doesn't seem to be going in a hugely positive direction. Now I wonder if Spurs were to make a change and there was to be buy-in from someone like Kane into that change that might alter the situation. But it's difficult to, it's difficult again at the moment to argue against his, if he does have a desire to leave, it's difficult to argue against that because it's just, it's uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop I, myself. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I intended to ask you this que- this question really, Aid, because I think it's probably yeah. too close to home for, <laughs> for Seb. Um, with Mourinho, you know, the cracks are appearing He's marginalised Harry Winks. You know, the law of the mate in football takes over. Kieran Trippier's at Atletico. Oh, suddenly Harry Winks is linked with Atletico. When you have a coach and a manager 
who, you know, it's no great surprise, he's always been a polarising force, but he's now a fading polarising force. When do you get to the point where it's too much aggravation? <laughs> well, when when you're losing a lot of games and when, when the team is, is nowhere near where you anticipate the, the team to be in terms of the table, in terms of challenging for trophies. And uh, I think we're, we're pretty close to that point. I mean, Spurs could theoretically sneak into the the Champions League, I guess, still. I don't think they will, but they, they could. So they're not going to make that change now. But uh, yeah, I'll be surprised if, if Jose is, is Spurs manager next season. It is, it's not worked. It, it looked for a little while earlier on in this season that, that it might. And they had that purple patch, but yeah, it's um, too many players are again are, are sort of uh, unhappy. It seems with with Jose and, and his methods and and the way that he treats individuals. And, and you speak of Harry Winks there, fairly he has been marginalised. It's not the only one, but that happens. Happens to you know nice guy managers marginalised players. It, it, it's it's not that. It's just. It just feels that the modern player doesn't respond to, to Jose like like the old the old school players did. Hey, and, do, you, uh, do, you find yeah. it, do you find it strange that if you look around the world game of last decade and you look at the managers who've been successful, none of them seem to start fires in their own camp? No. But I, I, I just, I, as, <clears throat> it's a very difficult thing to accept the idea that there is a payoff to, you know, making enemies in your own club. And I, I think of the... Um, the Toby Alderweireld story that uh, the standards Dan Kilpatrick reported over the weekend, where in his post-match interview, Jason Mourinho said that you know Alderweireld turned up late from for, from his international duties. So did Serge Aurier. Said oh they they weren't available to train, and then that was disproved by images on the club's official Twitter account. If you're Toby Alderweireld, now I know Toby Alderweireld is a fading force, but Toby Alderweireld has has contributed to some brilliant seasons at Tottenham. He's an elder statesman in this group. He's earned a lot of respect amongst his fellow players. What is to gain? I mean, if, if there is an answer to that question, I'm all ears. It's just that... But, yeah, it's, it's, there's only so many times you can go to that stock method of being brutal and, and, and just absolutely hammering either individuals or sections of the team and, and, and saying that they're not good enough. There's only so, that, that shock tactic should be used once in a blue moon, but but it's the it's become the go-to. And... And players would just not listen anymore and not care. They'll laugh it off. Here he goes again. And and he'll just lose that respect within the within the dressing room. The players would have been quite excited, I think, to work with Jose Mourinho because of his track record, because they all want to win things. This could this be the guy? Could be, this could be the guy that brings me my winners' medals? And and at the outset, yeah, they'd have been on board. But but I think he's got it the time has elapsed now. They've seen enough of him to maybe realise that like most of us on the outside, that, that Jose is, is, is a fading force. And I don't, I, I don't think he's ever going to be uh, the manager he used to be. Yeah, because you know, when, we, when we boil it all down to its bare bones, football management is about, it's a people business. And you know, I'd, I'd make a comparison uh, with what's going on at West Ham, Seb, yeah. where you have there's a real element of coaching that's that is overlooked. Okay, you can look at the the consequences. West Ham are in the top four with eight games to go. David Moyes has done a terrific job, but I think that improvement is almost condensed into one person, which is Jesse Lingard. He's been revived, and I suppose it's that equation between self confidence and faith in him. What does that say about David Moyes as a man and a manager, do you think? I think it suggests that he's, as a manager, I think it suggests that he has learned from things that have happened in the past. I think that his player handling has clearly improved. Lingard is a very good example of that. But I would also add in Craig Dawson. Craig Dawson, at the end of last season, would have been nobody's choice to anchor a defence that was heading for the Champions League. With the greatest respect to Craig Dawson, because he's been a terrific defender over the years. It's just that he did not have a good season at Watford last year. Aaron Cresswell has has um, has been reinvented as that kind of outside centre half. I think what you're seeing, and Lingard is is as as you say, Mike, he's kind of top of this tree. You're seeing players who are being made to feel important. You're seeing players who are responding to faith. You're responding to good man and man man management. Bit of a trite phrase, I know. But you also see a group in that West Ham team, a group of like 
probably about 14 or 15 players who really understand what it is that they're trying to do. There's a real cohesion. There's a real collectiveness to, to their football, but there's a real understanding for what they have to do to win football matches. And I think that's something that's missing at other clubs. I mean, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we can over intellectualize the game in the sense that we can talk about it in very complicated terms and yeah, in places football is complex and it, you know, deserves that kind of scrutiny. In other situations, however, there's a lot to be gained from understanding, from players being given something to do in a game and going to execute it well. And I think I think Moyes', Moyes sort of time, second time at West Ham is a kind of triumph of all of those things. And um, it's a nice story because he was on the scrap heap. He was like a... David Moyes became a punchline because of what happened to Man United, because of what happened to Sunderland. And he has reclaimed his reputation. That's really rare. We've just finished talking about Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho spent what, a decade trying to re return to where he was in the game? Hasn't managed it. David Moyes suddenly is, his, his stock is almost back to where it was at Everton. That's remarkable, given the time period in between those two points. I, I think David Moyes has created a brotherhood at West Ham. There's a few players in there. Like you say, the two that you picked out, Dawson and, and Lingard, two, two players that, you know, were just sort of bumming around, really, weren't they? Their, their careers were going going nowhere. Creswell was on the way out and, and, and he's just rejuvenated them. And they've got, they've got some really good characters in that, in that dressing room. I think you can see that Declan Rice is, he's a great lad. I think we know that Antonio is a wonderful leader of the line leads by example. And they just seem like a, yeah, a brotherhood that's all in it together that are loving punching above their weight. And, and there's so much that, that, that can be said for a manager making you feel wanted experienced it myself where you just feel you feel worthless when you're when you're training well you know you feel like you're training well and it comes to the the, the team being pinned on the wall or the squad for the weekend on a Friday and you're never in it you just feel worthless and you, you think do I even want to be a footballer what you know am I, and then you doubt you doubt yourself you're well, well have I lost it am I not the not the player I used to be and then you can get a move where a manager just loves you to death, makes you the pivotal figure, and 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 all of a sudden it all comes out again. You flower as a, as a footballer again, and that's what we're seeing with Jesse Lingard. And it's a lesson I think for other managers. Look around the league, look at the big clubs, look at who's out of favour, and 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 go and go and put your arm around one of them and give them another chance because these players. Most of them are very, very good and it's fine margins. And a lot of it, the difference between success and failure is between the years and, and how a player feels confidence-wise. There are tons of players that can be revitalised, like Jesse, in my opinion. Do you, do you guys feel sometimes as if the game has lost that sense of allowing players to rise and fall? See, you know, we've always understood from like from year zero that, you know, form fluctuates. Players have good months, bad months, good seasons, bad seasons. Now it feels like as soon as a player starts their downturn, they're finished. Need a transfer, need a £50 million replacement immediately next week and that player can just be fired into the sun. And I find that really wasteful. It's like one of the game's great inefficiencies because I, it makes me think of someone like Davison Sanchez, for instance. Davison Sanchez, once upon a time, thought of very highly, thought of highly enough to be worth £40 million to Tottenham and has given some very good performances in a you know team that was playing the Champions League and what have you has had a few bad years. Does that mean that that player is finished? No, it just means that you need to unlock the potential that's still in someone like that. You need to, to as Adrian said, you need to make sure he feels confident. You need to make, feel, make sure he feels, you know, worth something as a footballer. It's a profession. If you don't feel worth anything as a professional, your performance and your confidence is going to suffer. And Lingard is another example. Are you trying to tell me that at some point of the last few years, Manchester United couldn't have got something out of Jesse Lingard, which would have been a benefit to them. Of course not. It's just this mentality that, right, well, you know, we need to move on now. That's that's no good anymore. And you're seeing you're seeing what can happen. You're seeing how powerful a change in in form, a change in management style, all of these things can be. You put a player in the right situation, all of a sudden, he he. I mean, at the moment, he should be playing for England. And I know he did over the international break. But at the moment, he'd be starting for England. I mean, he's good. Mm. He, he's it, it's a it feels like a blind spot and it's it's really frustrating. In, fa in fairness to Manchester United, it, it, they got Bruno Fernandes in his position and it's like, well, we've got Bruno now. So, sorry, I, I know, Jesse. But, I mean, that, that is sort of, you, you got Bruno Fernandes there and, and Bruno Fernandes gets run into the ground 
Like mm. he, he's a he's a wonderful player. I love watching Bruno Fernandez. But I mean, if you if you said to him before he signed, right, well, this is going to be your this this is what we expect of you in kilometers over the next eighteen months. <laughs> I don't think he'd sign up for that. Ask Jesse Lingard whether he'd prefer to still be at Manchester United covering Bruno, just every you know, given it stepping in for him when he needs a breather, or being the star of the show for West Ham. West Ham, no doubt. He, he, he wouldn't yeah, he wouldn't yeah. move back. West well, Ham, no doubt. If yeah. if you're if you're Jesse Lingard, aid, would you? go back to Manchester United because there will be pressure to do so because they're obviously embarrassed that he's come out and played as well as he has. <laughs> I wouldn't be going back there. I mean, I mean, you just say, let make this happen. I love it here. Keep me. Do, do, do what you can. And Manchester United surely won't stand in his way. He's been a, he's been a very good servant to them. He's, he, he's, come, he's come through the ranks. He's played there a lot, a lot of time. He spent most of it in and out of the team. They've got someone that, yeah. As long as they get the market value for him, they should they should let him go. It would be the worst thing possible for Jesse to go back to Old Trafford to sit on the bench. Okay, I'm repaying the favour here, Seb. I asked Aid about Jose Mourinho. I'm going to ask you about Mikel Arteta. Um, I think you've got a team at Arsenal or a club at Arsenal which is in bad, you know, badly needs leadership. In terms of obviously the you know the strength around the coach and his strategy and his philosophy, there does seem to be you know there are suggestions of um, cliques being formed, you know, modern players. Do you embarrass a modern player by publicly dropping him for turning up late? All that sort of stuff. Again, as an outsider, what's your view of Arsenal at the moment? I think it depends on what day of the week it is because I. <laughs> Arsenal is such a confusing team because you you can watch them and you can see sort of in sort of 10, 20 minute periods, you can see, see things which really impress you. I, I really like Smith Rowe. I like Saka. Uh, I, I think Tierney's a super fullback. Hopefully for Arsenal, his injury is not too bad. But then you see where they are on the table and you think that, I don't know, we're, we're, we're pretty gentle on Mikel Arteta. We talk about the potential of this side, but they've become a mid-table team and that seems to be acceptable. Also, one of, one of the strange contradictions is that there, you mentioned leadership and the importance of dressing room voices. One of the ironies at Arsenal is that they are dependent on the leadership of players who aren't particularly good. So you need David Luiz in the team and you need Granit Xhaka in the team, but you need them in the team for social reasons, but because they create accountability and they are quote-unquote leaders. Are they good enough to be playing at the level that Arsenal want to reach? David Luiz probably was four or five years ago, not now. Granit Xhaka, no, is a, is a problem. Good pass to the ball, but um, I don't see any other attributes that are particularly impressive. So you have this scenario where you need these elements in the team, which kind of are double-edged swords. Also, I, I, I think it's difficult to reconcile Nicolas Pepe's transfer fee with his performance. I, I, I don't know what he is. Like, there's a player there. He has something. I just don't know what it is. He reminds me a little bit of a young Eric Lamella in ways. Like you, you see the potential, but you don't often see the output. I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been hugely underwhelming over the last few weeks. I think that, I don't know, I mean, I, I think it's a better question for Adrian in many ways because I, to me, as an outsider, there's a little bit of me who thinks, yeah, I quite like to see the back of Aubameyang because he's a good player. And, you know, Pepe and Odegaard's great and I would, you know, probably prefer to see him go back to Real Madrid than to, to stay at Arsenal full-time. But there's it's a muddle. It's There's no... You can be tricked by Arsenal in so many different ways. You can watch one half and think this is this useless. Finish this experiment now, and then you can be. You, then you could see something with things. This you need to persevere with this. You need to gather things around this manager to give him the opportunity to, to kind of fulfil his vision. I, I don't. I don't know what the right answer is. Tell me about it. Tell me yeah. about it. I have to analyse their yeah, game. Because so a, a, like the Pepe thing. <laughs> I watched the the second half of that West Ham game at London Stadium. He came on and he was great. Well, I don't know if he came on, but he he was he was. His contribution in the second half is really good. That nice ball for the Lacazette header. Like, that's what I want from him. Like, the kind of the beguiling can be a defender off either foot, that stuff. And then you can see him and just think, £70 million pounds for this. Yeah. Must yeah, be joking. It, it definitely yeah. over. Uh, 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 are we reaching the point of, you know, there is now no alternative but to, to make very far-reaching, big decisions, which by their very nature are very dangerous? Look, per, my personal opinion here is that well, Seb's, Seb's right about, about about what he said. I think the senior players are the issue. Really, at Arsenal, the senior players aren't consistent. 
they produce moments but no consistency and and their body language isn't great on occasion now you could level that at the coach but personally i would keep the coach and ditch the players a lot of the players that that's that's that i think is the best method for Arsenal to get out of, of their current predicament i see a really good coach in arteta but i think he needs he needs better characters to work with players that that he can mold i i think tini saka Partey, Smith Rowe, Erdegaard, if they can keep him, that that's the that's the that's the spine of the team. Every other position, in my in my view, is up for grabs. I really do, and and I think there has to be a lot of you know a, a lot of a, a huge cull during during this summer if they can if they can produce one in the circumstances. Hey, what do you think of the goalkeeper? Because um, <laughs> he, he feels like think, he's, he's like a, an emblem of Arsenal. Like sometimes you see him, think yeah, you're you're you know, a good player, and then you think you. Letting ben Martinez Leno, go to Villa was, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Ben Leno is about number eight in the list of problems for Arsenal. <laughs> I, 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 I feel, I feel that um, he's more than good enough to, to to stay between the sheets. But could Arsenal upgrade that position but between yes, the sheets? Maybe between <laughs> between the, between, <laughs> between the sticks. Uh, I forget. Oh dear, I'm all over the shop talking about this Arsenal team. But <laughs> now Ben Leno's not the problem. Alexander Lacazette isn't the problem, by the way. Yeah. He gets a lot of stick. I thought he's brilliant against West Ham. Absolutely the catalyst for that comeback. Is he the long-term answer? No. Arsenal desperately need a centre-forward. There are so many positions. Centre-back, right-back, central midfield, up front. And then you've got, you've got the wide areas with Pepe and Willian who, who aren't delivering. It, there is so much that needs doing. But yeah, Arteta's learning on the job. He has made mistakes. But I personally think Arteta is one of the bigger assets that Arsenal have rather than some of these senior players who, who I just think their time is, is coming towards an end now. Mm. OK, let's try and pull it together if we could. I want us really just to, to look at the market and, and come up with perhaps one player who we would view as a shrewd or essential signing for any particular club in the summer. Seb, start with you if I could. You know, obviously you've moved to Germany how impressed have you been by the talent you've seen in the Bundesliga? And is there anyone there who, who screams Premier League move? Impressed by the talent, the, the nature of the, the games is a little bit slapdash. Sometimes the defending is all over the place. It feels like that's a symptom of um, of lockdown and the strange environment. But there's certainly talent. And I, I, I've kind of I picked out a couple that don't play for Bayern Munich just because that seems more fun <laughs> um, because it's... Um, yeah, it's pretty dispiriting how big the gap is between Bayern Munich and everybody else. I really like Florian Newhouse at Gladbach. Nice midfielder, kind of a deep line midfielder. Would actually be a very nice fit at Arsenal. I've got a little bit of a, a sneaky one, which, uh, which is Daiki Kamada, who played for a really resurgent Eintracht Frankfurt team. Doesn't get the plaudits of someone like a, a Kostic or a Jovic uh, or an Andre Silva, but really good, busy little player. And the kind of the the wonderkin, the, I, I suppose I would I would I would compare this player to I, I say probably kind of Germany's answer to Phil Foden, very stylistically similar is uh, Florian Vetz of uh, Bayer Leverkusen. He's still a teenager, and um, Leverkusen are an absolute mess at the moment. They've just binned Peter Bosch. They're massively underperforming given the talent they have, but he'll be a star somewhere. He is a an exceptional kind of old-fashioned attacking midfielder, number ten type. He just he's got a lovely control, lovely sort of. He's one of those guys that looks like he plays in velvet slippers, if that makes sense. Just um, really fun to watch. And I, when he when he starts to get exposure, um, when he starts to become like a Champions League fixture, which he will do for someone at some point, because Leverkusen are probably going to miss out on um, probably miss out on European football this season. He'll he'll entertain people. He's a brilliant little footballer. A few to watch there. Hey, who are you looking out for? Interesting. Yeah, no, I'll keep a, keep my eye on those names for sure. Well, look, I, I don't get a chance or the time to to sort of analyze European football. Really, so so I'll concentrate on on the championship, which is a league that I've obviously heavily invested in, and and there's a player that's emerged recently at Barnsley that looks interesting. Now, who knows whether he's going to be good enough to thrive in the Premier League or not? But but it's Daryl DK at Barnsley, seven goals in nine starts. He's twenty years of age. He's on loan. From Orlando City, actually, which is obviously an interesting 
career pathway and he's rocked up at, at Oakwell and he and he's tearing up the championship. Absolute handful. Great, strong focal point. Big and muscular, but skillful. Scores good goals. Good feet as well. So he, he, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of the Drogba about him, is, is, what, is all I'll say. I'm not saying he's the next Didier Drogba, but there's a bit of Drogba about him. And and I do believe that, that Premier League scouts are, are, are circling, that they're very, very interested in him. Now, we've seen a lot of players come from the Championship and thrive, haven't we, in the, in the Premier League? Patrick Bamford and Ollie Watkins are obviously two, two standouts. Jared Bowen. Um, Jared Bowen, yeah, absolutely. Lot, tons of them. Uh, half the England squad is made up of players that, that that shone in the Championship at one point. So let's not dismiss it. Daryl DK's got got something about him, and I'll actually be surprised if um, if he doesn't play for a Premier League club next season. Yeah, that Barnsley model with the group uh, is is a really interesting one. Sort of a, um, I, I suppose, a sub tier Red Bull type model. I'm looking at. Uh, Slavia Prague. Now, they're in the news for all the wrong reasons. Accusations of racist behaviour, though they've been belligerently denied, leave a stain on the reputation of, of what is, in football terms anyway, a fascinating club. I think this Slavia team could cause Arsenal all sorts of problems. It's been heavily scouted and is highly regarded. Have a look out for the... Most impressive player, the Senegalese forward, uh, Abdallah Sima. He's only 19 and has been hailed as the new Thierry Henry. That might be overdoing it. In fact, it is overdoing it. But I think he's ideal for an Arsenal, a Spurs or an Everton. Which player is on your radar? Please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Seb and Adrian for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.